so I'm going to just jump right into this this morning. I'm going to read some scriptures to you. So if you'd like to follow along with me, I think it's going to be on the thing back there. Um, of course, I've been preaching uh, the last time I preached a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago now. And we had a couple of really good messages the last two weeks, right? If you didn't, if you weren't here for either one of them, Becky had a great message on Easter. I thought I thought it was really good, and Jim had a really great message last Sunday. So we're just so blessed to have good speakers to share stuff with us and speak into our hearts. But, so I've been talking about uh, you know the spirit of Elijah for a, a long time, right? And I just can't just get away from this. You know, I want to read this story of him departing again because really has been speaking to my heart a whole lot, and I just don't want to leave it for the moment. And so this is a little bit of a repeat, or but, but not really. Um, and so verse 9 of 2 Kings 2, and, and so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I may do for you before I'm taken away from you. Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So he said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Then it happened, as they continued on and talked, that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared and horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried out, My father, my my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and his horsemen. So he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the Jordan, struck the water, and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elijah, and Elijah crossed over. Now when the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they were and there were fifty strong men with their servants. Please uh, they said to him, Look now, there are fifty strong men with your servants. Please let them go and search for your master. At least perhaps the Spirit of the Lord has taken him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, You shall not send anyone. Well, if you read the rest of the story, they kind of prevailed on it, and then he let them go, look for Elijah. Of course, he knew Elijah wouldn't be found. So the thing uh, that really is, is powerful here is I think this is a, a picture, and I think it's a really important picture that God really wants people to get. Um, you know, the Old Testament is a type and a shadow, or, or a prototype might be a better way of saying it. Uh, there's many uh, types in the Old Testament. You know, one of the classic ones is, is Jonah spending three days in the belly of a whale, which is a, a type of Christ spending three days in the grave. And so all through the Old Testament, there's these pictures and but they're shadows. They're not really the, the real thing. They're like they're not the, the true thing. But the reason God did that is was to help us see the reality. In other words, all the stories in the Old Testament are really to help us see something that was going to happen. 
to see the, the reality of things. So with Jonah being in the well of the belly, God was trying to show us that Christ was going to be in the grave. He, it was a picture, it was, it, but it wasn't the full picture. And so that's what the, the Old Testament really is all about. And you know, a lot of people are hung up on all the, the regulations and stuff in the Old Testament, but really it's like you're reading, you're looking for the wrong thing. You're not really seeing. You're blinded. You've allowed that all the regulations that God had to do to get people to the truth, to get people to see that they needed Him. You're allowing that to blind you of a greater reality. And, and so it's the Old Covenant, it really is a, a powerful picture. It's a shadowy picture. It's a grainy picture. It's like a, if you ever looked at old photographs of something that, that's like an old, really old photograph, like from, from the 1800s, they're not real clear. They're real, not real precise. Uh, you can't really see the, the, the clarity like we can with our photographs today. And that's sort of what the, the Old Testament really is like for us. And so to me, this is a picture of something that's powerful. And it's something that could change people's lives if we could grab hold of this. It's really an amazing revelation, really. Now, I think I told you last time I talked about this, that, that in the Hebrew culture, uh, the firstborn son got double from his, you know, the inheritance. He got, you know, if there were two kids, he was going to get two times as much as the other guy. He always got the double portion. And see, that's what... Elijah was calling out to, to this man, or Elisha was calling out to Elijah for, for the double of the inheritance uh, which Elijah carried, which was Elijah's spirit, which was Elijah's anointing. And as a, as a Hebrew, both of those men understood what this was all about. There was no question about what he was asking for. He was asking for something that any Hebrew would ask for because he saw, he said that. My father, my father. He saw Elijah as his father, as his spiritual father. And he wanted Elijah's inheritance as being taken away. And Elijah told him, listen, you can, I can't do this for you. I can't give you something like that. But God can. But the only way you're going to be able to get this thing from God that is real, as real as everything, is you've got to see. You've got to see me being taken away. And that's Revelation. You've got to be able to see something to really have it spiritually. And that's what he was saying. You can have this thing. It's available. But if you don't see it by revelation, if you, you'll miss it. You won't have it, basically. Well, here's the thing. Most Christians, most of us, don't realize what we already have in Christ. Because we don't see. We don't have revelation of what God has done for us. And because we're not seeing it, we're not able to walk in it. And it really hinders us. It really, and you see a lot of Christians that are they're like perpetually frustrated with their Christian life. They're always seeking something from God, trying to get God to do something that God's already done. Now, this is the truth, what I'm telling you. God's already done it. And so we're frustrated. We're trying to get God to do something He's already done. And our prayers are hindered. Our prayers are hindered because we're asking in the wrong way. We're asking God to do something, and God is saying, I've already done that. And the reason you're, you're not getting it is because you're not seeing it. Because you're not walking in revelation. See, really the only thing Christians really like, every Christian, every Christian, the only thing we really don't have is revelation. Because once we get revelation, we can have the things we're seeing. 
That's how, if you study the scripture, that's what it teaches. That's why there's always this thought flowing in this church, in this room, like this morning, about the mind. Is to get your mind in a place where it's not hindering you from seeing with your heart. And when your heart sees, your mind can, can engage with what your heart's seeing and get some understanding on it. So, you know, the kingdom of God works on agreement. That's how it works. It works on agreement with us agreeing with God. And see, see, what God wants to do is get us in agreement, get us in a place where we begin to agree with him of what he's done, what he's accomplished for us. And so once we get into that place of agreement with him, and, and, and listen, it comes by revelation. Agreement comes by revelation because you can't just agree to something that's not really true in your heart. But once you begin to see something that's really true in your heart, you can begin to agree with God, and then that thing, then you can, your prayers will shift from just praying for it is, is to decreeing it and declaring it. And see, you know, there's just been this thing in the church about decreeing, right? Everybody believes in decreeing things. Well, most of us do. There's some skeptics in this room. It's kind of a little, little uh, scared to do stuff like that. You, you really shouldn't be. Um, that's really how you find out stuff. You sort of jump out there in it and you realize this is not really working good, Lord, this decreeing thing. I've said that, Lord. This decreeing thing's not working good. And it's because I'm not decreeing from a place of revelation. I'm decreeing from a place of head knowledge. Head knowledge doesn't work on decreeing. Head knowledge doesn't work. Are y'all following this? So that's really what, what Elijah was trying to get Elisha to, to, to dial in onto another level spiritually. To be able to have this double portion. That's what he was saying. You can have this. I can't give it to you. Because you need this revelatory experience. Now I'm sure. You know Elijah had taught Elisha a lot about seeing in the spirit. I mean it was not like he was thinking this guy can't do it. But you know. You still got to be able to see it. You still got to be able to see me taken away. Even if you can't see in the spirit. So I believe God really wants to bring us into a into a place where, you know, we're not really trying to get God to do things. We've made our Christian life into, Lord, give me, I need you to give me more anointing. I need you to give me, you know, more finance. I need you to give me this. I need you to give me healing. I need you to do this, this, and that. And, and I just don't think that's the right way to approach it. I don't think that's the biblical way to approach it. I don't think that that's what the Bible teaches if you really look at the whole of Scripture. We're trying to get God to do something. He's trying to convince us that he's already done it. I mean, that's the real truth of this thing. And so we stay perpetually frustrated. Because somehow or another, we're not connecting with God on the level that God wants us to connect with him. And he's trying to bring us into this place. It's an invitation. But some people are so dogged, skittish about spiritual things that they don't want to step into that with God. I hope you're not one of those skittish people. If you are, you need to stop being that way. You're not, you need to start stepping into thing, to this invitation of a supernatural life, of a revelatory life. You, you need to take that invitation from God and step into it because that's the way you're going to live a victorious life. And really, the, the truth is this. Going back to the Hebrew culture, um, there's been a, a, an amazing revelation of God as our Father, right? I hope you're walking in that revelation. And, and the revelation 
when we begin to see God as our Father by revelation, when we begin to know Him as our Father, we, we can begin to know ourselves. I know I've said this a hundred thousand times. This is important. We be, that's how we get to know who we are, is by knowing who He is. Because only the Father can communicate that to you. I'm just going to go in. I know everybody knows this, but I like this. I, I, like, I tell myself self all this. See, the world is trying to tell you who you are. The world's trying to tell you who you are and who you're not all the time. Don't let your kids leave the house without making sure they know who they are. Keep telling them who they are. This is who you are. Don't let that people out there tell them. Don't, if you have a daughter, don't let guys out there tell your daughter who she is. That's the worst thing you can do to your daughter. Don't let your son, other guys, or other girls tell, tell them who they are. Because somebody's trying to tell you. Somebody's trying to stick a label on you. The devil's trying to do it. And he'll use any means. And that's how he destroys people's lives. Because people look in the mirror and, and look and they don't, I don't measure up. I'm not good enough. I'm this, I'm that. And that's none, none of that's coming from, from the Father. Are y'all right? And so... So the Father begins to tell us who we are. And, and listen, all this comes through a process of having our minds renewed. None of us are less of it. It's this process where God begins to speak to us. God begins, our mind is getting renewed. We're starting to know who we are more and more. We can look at other people and see, instead of look, judging them from outward appearance, like Paul says, we no longer judge or look at any man or judge any man by their flesh. That's what he was talking about. We look into their hearts. Because we are no longer judged by our flesh. We are no longer see ourselves by our flesh. We look into a person's heart. God, when God selected, you know, David to be king of Israel, and, and Samuel was going to pick the best looking guy in the family, David's brother, older brother, and the Lord said, no, he's not the one. Don't look at the outward appearance. I look at a man's heart. And see, that's what God gives, wants to give us eyes to see when we look at other people, including ourselves. And really, we need to see God with our heart. So we can really know who God is and what God's really like. Y'all are just sitting there looking at me blank stares. Anyways, what I wanted to say, this, this thing about double portion, about inheritance. As a son, when you come into this revelation of sonship or daughtership, this for the women, and as you grow in that, at first it's just about the refrigerator in daddy's house, about food and about clothes on your back and a bed to sleep in in his house and being taken care of by this father. But as you grow in, in this revelation of being a son, at some point there will come a time when you as a son will be looking at the father and expecting an inheritance from him. Not just living in his house, but receiving something from him. And that's what the New Testament is. If you think about the New Testament, it's the last will and testament of Jesus Christ. Jesus died and left a will. And so when you read the New Testament, you need to start reading the New Testament like it's a will. In the natural... If you had a big old will that, that was that thick, you would probably have legal minds to help you sort through that, right? That's why there's teachers and prophets in the body of Christ 
to help us sort through all those pages of the New Testament, but really to help us get to what our inheritance is. Instead of running here and there and trying to grasp at something to get something to get this inheritance, God wants us to I've written the will. I've given you a will. It's in there. If you, you begin to see what's in that, and you can begin to lay hold of that for yourself. Or do y'all believe that? And that's really what it is. So I would really recommend for you, when you read the New Testament, and Christians should be reading the Bible. That's a stupid statement to even have to say, but a lot of Christians don't read it. And they wonder why their Christian life is so ridiculously bad. Well, duh, read the Bible. Start reading it. And God will speak to you through the Bible. And God will begin to reveal the inheritance that he has for you. And you'll begin to see it. And when you begin to see it, you can grab it and take it into your life and start reading it like a will. This is Jesus' will. He was the firstborn. There's a double portion for me. That's what that picture of, of Elijah and Elijah. But if you don't see him taken up, you're going to be like those dumb prophet friends of Elisha. Where will let's go find him? Let's run here. Let's run there to find Elijah. And Elijah will say, you're not going to find him. Don't go. Isn't that way our Christian life is, kind of? Well, let's run here. Let's run there. Let's look here. Let's look there. And we're running here. And I promise you, Elisha, if he wouldn't have seen the Lord being taken, he'd probably be the first one. He'd have probably let him out. Yeah, let's go find him. But he saw something they didn't see. And notice when he went to the Jordan, he didn't call on Elijah. He didn't say, where's Elijah? And hit the water. No, he said, where's the Lord God of Elijah? Y'all see that? That's important. See, he took what God had given him. See, he knew he had something at that point. He wasn't asking those 50 guys to pray for him. Right? Hey, y'all pray for me. I'm really hoping I got that spirit of Elijah. I'm going to really try this thing, but I really need you to pray for me and make sure I got it. And see, he didn't do none of that. He just took what he had, what God had given him, and he went over and struck the water and cried out, Where's the Lord God of Elijah? And what did the water do? It obeyed, just like it did with Elijah. Are y'all following this? And then he crossed over. <coughs> Woo, mercy, Lord. I think that's pretty good. You know, Ephesians 1, 3, 3. Chapter 1, verse 3 says, We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. In other words, God has already done that. He's established that. Now, what we have to do is through the renewing of our mind and through exercising ourselves towards godliness. That's what was Paul's answer for tapping into this, to this inheritance that we have in Christ. Tapping into everything that God has already done for us. I'm going to hurry up here because i got eight minutes, but I wanted to tell you one thing. Well, let me just read a couple more scriptures to you. How about that? And we'll just stop. John 14, 12. This is the secret. Everybody loves this. Every Pentecostal person in the world loves this scripture. Every Pentecostal person in the world loves, you know, the double portion. Of course you do. How many people who haven't got a word about a double portion? Everybody, if you hang around Spirit-filled people, they're going to give you a word about a double. And I'm glad they do. I'm into it. And they're going to do this John 14, 12 thing. But isn't this one of the most confusing scriptures ever? Uh, like, who could do something greater than Jesus? Well, 
Elisha did much more greater works than, than Elijah. But Elijah was the greater prophet still. You know, he's, we don't think about the spirit of Elisha. We think about the spirit of Elijah, even though Elisha did more. And that's, that's really, I, seem, I think this is the key, is when we begin to tap into his double portion, then we can really flow in that says, Behold, I send, no, it says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. And see, if you see him go to his Father, if you really see that, if you really see with your heart that God has provided a double portion for you in Christ, that everything, that's the way you tap into this John 14, 12. It's interesting. Let me read uh, Luke. I'm glad Becky likes this scripture. <laughs> Everybody else don't. I love this scripture. Listen to this. Behold, 24, Luke 24, 49. I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued or literally clothed with power from on high. You literally clothed. Think about it. Elisha tore his clothes off and picked up that mantle of Elijah. That's what that is. The Holy Spirit's that mantle. You see that? Are y'all following this? Yeah, I know. It, it really is good. I'm telling you. That's why I'm saying this bothers me. Like, I, we're talking about getting the spirit of Elijah. It's the Holy Spirit. You know, what does Paul say in Ephesians? I think in Colossians. Take off the old and put on the new. We were talking about the new this morning. Listen, if you don't take off the old, you can't put on the new. You can't dress in layers of the spirit. In the natural, you can put on three or four shirts. Two or three pairs of hands. You can walk around looking really dumb with all that clothes looking big. You know, if you're real skinny, you know, skinny people might double up on their clothes not to look skinny. Did y'all know that? No. Y'all didn't know that, did you? I know some skinny people. I'm talking about they were skinny. And they didn't want to look skinny, so they wore two pairs of pants. I'm serious. They did. I know. I've seen them. Come on. I knew what they were thinking of it. Because they wanted to look big like the other boys. But they were so dog and skinny, they looked like a rail. Clothes hanging off. So they just doubled up. Everybody thought they were, you know, fat. Or normal. You know, muscular. Well, you can't do that in the spirit. you got to take off the old, like Elisha. That was the picture of Elisha ripping off who he was, what he was. He was saying, I'm done with this old Elisha. I'm going to step into becoming a new Elisha. I'm going to take up this mantle. And that's what the church, and we need to take up the mantle of the Holy Spirit. And let the Holy Spirit clothe us with the righteousness of Christ and who He is and what He is and His power. It literally, in the Old Testament, it talks about with Gideon, it says the Lord put Gideon on like a glove. Or, or God put Himself on Gideon like a glove. That's what it literally says in the Hebrew when God came on Gideon. He, he put like a, a glove. God became a glove on Gideon. A glove of power. Wouldn't that be powerful? Glove? Yeah. Grab, you know, do some stuff with it. Oh, I'm going to read you two more scriptures. I'm going to be, I'm just going to have to stop. I'm hoping, I'm hoping, I'm hoping you're being bothered about this. I'm hoping you're thinking there's something wrong with my Christian life. You know, I've been approaching my Christian life a little wrong here. I need to tap into something I already have. I need to get out of begging God 
to do something for me. And I need to begin to define, Lord, show me how to tap into what you've done, Lord. Instead of begging you to do something. Well, listen to this scripture. This will mess your little, little foggy mind up badly. It's 1 Corinthians 3, 21 through 22. This is Paul. Therefore, let no one boast in men. Listen to this. This is crazy. Listen. For all things are yours. That's what Paul said. All things are yours. And you need to let that soak in. I can imagine those friends being sitting there like, all things? What the heck? I mean, that's mind-boggling, isn't it? All things are yours. Not all things will be yours. All things are yours. Then he goes on and kind of like helps them. Whether it's Paul or Apollos or Cephas, and those are like the, the heavyweights of the Christian world. You know, that would be like Billy Graham and you know, whoever else your favorite person is. It's, it's yours. Everything they have is yours. They have nothing that you don't have. Is what he was saying. Paul was saying, I have nothing that you don't have. The only difference between me and you is I have revelation on it. That's the only difference. I have revelation, therefore I'm able to declare it. And I'm declaring it to you so you can get revelation. And that's why Peter was doing it. Same thing. So you're getting the best of best there. You know, Paul, Apollos, one of the great teachers in the New Testament. See, and of course, Peter. And then he says, or the world, the world is yours. I put the world, I never backed off on that original commission. And then he says, life or death, they're yours. You have authority over them. That's crazy, isn't it? Or things present, or things to come, all are yours and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. It is awesome. See, this is what Paul was trying to do. He was trying to teach these people to tap in to their rightful inheritance, to their double portion. That's what he was trying to get them to see. Now notice, but there is one thing. I just want to bring this out. One thing he said is not yours. Do y'all know what it was? Anybody catch that? There's one thing that is not yours. It's the past. He left it out because he, you can't live in the past. You can't gravel over the past. You can't whine over the past. You can't wish your best past would come today. He was saying that's not yours. You've got to live in this moment right now. This moment is yours. Take advantage of this moment. Get this revelation today. Quit harking back to the good old days or quit letting your crummy, messed up past hold you back there. Because it's not yours. You've got to get out of that. You've got to get away from that. That's holding you down. It doesn't. The past doesn't belong to us, but everything else does. The future belongs to us. We don't have to fear the future. Anybody fear the future? Raise your hand if you have fear about the future. Anybody? I'm going to tell you, I was thinking yesterday, like, what in the world am I going to do? I'm just going to be messed up here. I'm going to be out. I'm, I'm getting older now. How am I going to live? All this fear started getting on me. I talked myself into the worst fear that ever. I was doomed in despair, you know. I mean, oh, what in the world's going to happen to Becky? I won't be able to care for her. I won't be able to provide a home for her. I mean, I went down this terrible road, and I realized, well, doggone, that's just ridiculous. I can't think that way. I can't think about that like that. I've got to trust God. I've got to do the things that God shows me today that will secure that future for me, no matter what happens. I just want to tell y'all that. So I want to read this one other scripture, and then I'll stop. Oh, I love this one. 
same thing as 4-7. Listen, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We have this treasure, this treasure, the treasure, our inheritance, that's what Paul is saying, is in us. It's already in you. The treasure, everything that God will ever do for you is in you because you're in Christ and you're seated with Christ in the heavenly places where all those blessings are. You and I are walking around with the treasure in us. The key is we have to learn how to tap into the treasure. That's the key because in a true sense for most Christians, most Christians, that treasure is in a locked chest deep down in their spirit. Locked up hard. And the key has been thrown away. And you don't know how to get, get the case open. You're trying to get into this thing. And, and you find you go inside your spirit and you look there and you see this, this vault door that's 20 feet thick. And got more chains and more locks on it than you can imagine. You think, I could never do this. But it's a lie. It's an illusion. It's not locked in you. Everything that you have is in your spirit right now. When you were born again, God put it all in you. He put it all in me. We carry it in us. And the key is, once we begin to know that by revelation, I keep saying by revelation, but that's important. You just hear this with your little head this morning, and your heart doesn't connect with it. I don't care what's in there. You can't get it out. But when you know that you know that you know, you know there's a new creation in here. It may not be out here yet. I might be the same old crummy, ugly creation, thinking the same old crummy thoughts. But in here, down in my spirit, there's a new creation. Second Corinthians 5.17 says that. There's something new in me. There's a different person in me. There's a Christ man. Not Christ himself. Yes, he's there. But there's also this other person. There's this Christ person in me there. This person who carries his mind, who carries his feelings, who carries his emotion. And, he's going to, and, and through the process of my mind being renewed and the process of, of exercising myself towards godliness and allowing God to work in my life, this person can be tapped into and brought up into my realm of my soul. And my soul begins to change. My, and that's why Paul said, said to the Galatians, Little children, I, I'm, I'm, I'm laboring over you so Christ would be formed in you. He wasn't talking about them being born again. Again, he was talking about the, the Christ in them being formed in the realm of their soul. And when he's formed in the realm of your soul, then your outward person begins to change because your desires change. Your feelings change. Everything changes from the inside. We're looking for a change out here. And God is saying, no, the change is in you. It's inside of you. I've given you the power to change. It's all in you. You have to believe that though. you got to and see that. And if you can, you'll be like, Elijah, I see it. Therefore, I have it. I'm going to start walking it out. I'm going to live this thing out. It's, this is the truth. This is the, That's why I'm saying this is a bothersome scripture to me, this story. And the reason it bothers me is because I realize that Somehow or another, we ain't getting this thing exactly right. We've not communicated this thing right. We've, we've got to get more into the way God thinks and the way God talks and the way God does things. I wanna, I'm i going to finish now. Why don't you let people say they have to They just say that to make me feel good for a minute. Then I feel bad again in the next two minutes. But I really am going to finish. I want to tell you this one thing, though. 
And I think I've told it to you over and over and over, but, you know, and somebody was prophesying to me this morning about Bob Jones. Well, I was thinking a lot about Bob Jones recently, and I got a lot of words from Bob Jones over the years. Never got one word from him when I asked him for a word, though. Not one. You know, it just didn't work that way with me. So I'll say, hey, Bob, you got a word for me? And this is what he would say. He said this to me. I've been to him many times. No, I don't have a word for you. You need, you need to use what you have. And I thought, use what I have? Hey, Bob, will you pray for me? No, you don't need prayer. And he's told me that. I remember one time, well, several times, I remember one time attending this church when he was praying for everybody, you know, one of them prayer line things, everybody come. Then I came out, he said, you don't need prayer. <laughs> I'm thinking, I don't need prayer. I do need prayer. You're Bob Jones. You can do something. You can touch me and something will happen. And he said, no, you need to use what you have, Bob. Wow. He said that to me so many times. You need to use what you have. That was the best word he gave me. Man. When I look back, that was Bob Jones' greatest word to my life. You don't need prayer. You need to use what you got. You don't need a word. You need to use what you have. And I didn't really get it. Well, what do you mean use what I have? Everybody in this room has, has it. We have it. we got to be convinced. That's what he was trying to tell me. You need to be convinced about what you already have. Now, he did give me other words at other times, you know, which was awesome because it's great getting a word to help jumpstart us and help give us wind into this thing. But I think we just need to shift our emphasis a little bit about all this. That's what I'm saying to you. We need to shift our emphasis from trying to get something from God, begging God or whatever. I mean, I don't know. Y'all haven't done that, but I know a couple of people have begged him badly. Shamefully begged him. I have. And it's like, God, like, why are you begging me? You're not a beggar. You're a son. You shouldn't have to beg. Stop begging. If you knew you were a son, you wouldn't be begging. You'd be asking me for wisdom about this situation. And I'll give you wisdom and then you'll know how to deal with it. So I think what I'm feeling about what I'm saying is like growing up as a son. Growing up and seeing what the inheritance that the Father has for us. And as we grow, you know, you're not going to give your five-year-old your rifle, your family heirloom rifle, right? Well, you, you could say one day I'm going to let you have it. But it, and it may be legally his at five, right? But maybe when he's 20, you actually place it in his hands. Right? See what I'm saying? Growing up. Growing up so we can begin to have these things. We grow up through revelation. We grow up through having our minds renewed. We grow up by exercising, 1 Timothy 4, 8, exercise yourself towards godliness. That's what Paul told Timothy. That's how you're going to grow up, Timothy. Your mind's going to be renewed. You're going to exercise yourself towards godliness. And as you do that, you will be transformed. You will quit being a caterpillar. You'll become a butterfly. And you can begin to lay hold of all the inheritance that Christ has already given you. That's what I see in that story. That's what I see. Yeah, I see that's what Elisha got that. He got in an instant, in a picture, 
what we're to get as believers. And I'll tell you something, it really is time for a lot of people to come into this. Because like we've been walking in this revelation of the Father for a long time in sonship. It's time to really start growing into this thing. It's time to start coming into something. It's time to start using what you got. Instead of trying to get something and or trying to get somebody to get something or do something with you, you start tapping into what you already have and start using it. And I think when we do that, we'll be we'll be doing a lot better. I think I am, you know. But Lord, help us this morning. Give us revelation about this. Give us revelation about this. Give us revelation about Ephesians one three. Every spiritual blessing. Let us see it with his eyes. Let us see it, Lord. Let us see this, Lord. Help us. Help us. Don't give us any rest. Wake us up in the middle of the night when we think about this. And when we pray for our family, we would think, oh, this is what I want my family to have. I want them to know what they already have. I want them to know the treasure they're carrying. Show us how to unlock those doors in our spirit and get this stuff into our heart, Lord. Thank you, Lord. That is such a good word. Why don't the ministry team come up? There's a lot of things that the Lord has been speaking today that you can get prayer for. We've got people up here that are powerful people because they're in Christ. And there's power in agreement, isn't there? We take our faith and join it with somebody else's. So if the Lord's working on you on something, if he's saying, you know, we need, we need to do some more here. Come on up and get prayer for, for that. Let these people just join you in prayer. Other than that, go in the peace of God with this word that he just spoke and don't don't be satisfied till you start to see more of what you have all right be blessed